Well, welcome to another episode of the Faith Awakens podcast with me, Father Tom Hennon, chaplain here at St. Ambrose University, and joined, as I am every week, by my co-host, Megan Grady, a student, still a current student because I'm taking one uh, uh, online class this summer, but um, yeah. Fantastic. Has has that started yet? Uh, Yes, we just started. So I'm heavily into that. (laughs) Good deal. And Megan and I are joined by another uh, good friend and guest, uh, Fritz Giudonet, who is, who, by the way, has one of my favorite last names of all people (laughs) in the world, which literally means like God's gift or gift of God, something like that, right? God-given. God-given. There you go. So Fritz um, works here at the university as well, and I'll uh, I'll let him give you his official title because I'm going to mess it up probably. Fritz, tell us what your title is here at the university. So my title is the Student Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion Coordinator. Great. And Fritz uh, and I actually are both uh, members of the class of 2000. So uh, we were classmates here at St. Ambrose. Uh, it does not seem possible, Fritz, that that is 20 years ago. Um, 20 years. <laughs> but it is, in fact, 20 years ago. So, um, you know, the more I do student ministry, the older I feel every day. <laughs> but it is uh, wonderful and life-giving. Um, so, yeah, we've known each other a long time. And I remember when I saw you back on campus in the cafeteria when you had, I think maybe even when you were interviewing for or had just been hired for this position. And I remember thinking, ah, Fritz, how are you doing? So what are you doing here? And then found out that you were going to be hired by the university. So that was great. Um, I think we, we, we were both, were you an RA too? Yeah, we were both RAs together. We did campus security together. Yep. Um, and then don't forget all the time being... we spent on the offensive line of the football team together. Yes. <laughs> okay, that um, last one might be a lie, given that I am roughly the size of one of Fritz's legs. So. Yeah, and then um, the, when you had stopped being an RA, I ended up being your RA because I was the RA in Hayes Hall. That's right. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's right. And that la- la- my last year, I moved back into Hayes Hall because I was uh, Hayes Hall my first two years, and my second year, my sophomore year, I was RA. And then yeah. my junior year, I was a house RA and lived in a house yeah. over on Harrison that's now a parking lot. And then I came back to the seminary my senior year, but I was no longer an RA, moved back into Hayes Hall, and that's right. Hayes I don't Hall. think it caused you much trouble by then. I think I had uh, – no already raised my ruckus so yeah yeah well um fritz to be very honest the reason we wanted to have you on the show uh, on the podcast today is that we are living in some really difficult times right now not that we haven't been before and of course in the context or in the with the backdrop of this pandemic as well but uh given the situation um in our country that we've seen really unfolding in the last week or so um of course Sadly, uh, George Floyd is not the first black man that we have seen killed in this way, Um, and he's one of a a long list, sadly, of of people. But the video of that um, has struck people in a way that has – I think the scales are coming off. And I I can tell you, um, not that I was totally blind to it before, but – I, I'm almost ashamed to say I didn't want to see the video because I knew it was going to be bad. And then I kind of happened upon the video and I saw it and 
and like everybody else that saw it, you know, my jaw hits the floor and I just think, how, how is this even possible in 2020? Um, and so we wanted to have you on as not only a, a, a friend and a classmate of mine and a fellow Ambrosian, but as a black man to, to hear your experience of what's going on right now um, and to kind of talk about this very openly, because I think it's on the minds and hearts of a lot of our students right now. So Yeah, and I, and I appreciate that. And I, I think um, why I, I didn't hesitate, A, because, you know, we, we have a long history, but I didn't hesitate because, I don't think this nation, we do enough uh, honest conversation where we're asking the people that are victimized about their experience. Um, yeah. we, we tend to talk to them and we tend to, to um, minimize their experience. And um, so for me, the, when people think that, you know, not condoning the, the violence and the rioting part in the destruction of property. Uh, but when some people see that as an overreaction, mm-hmm. um, they, they don't understand that that mindset is part of the issue mm-hmm. because uh, we'll go through history real quick. And again, you know, I, I, I don't play the, uh, what I call the oppression Olympics <laughs> where, mm-hmm. I try to tell you about my experience and someone tries to tell me, well, no, I've been discriminated against also, but mm-hmm. um, let's look at the history of our country. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's look at the history of the world. Uh, we, we honor and revere um, and are extremely protective of the history uh, of our Jewish brothers and sisters when it comes to the Holocaust. Yeah. And anyone that speaks ill of the Holocaust, or anyone that speaks ill of a person of the Jewish faith, is immediately corrected and shunned by society. Mm-hmm. Um, current history, right? We speak highly and glowingly of those that sacrifice coming out of September 11th and the lives lost out of September 11th. Mm-hmm. Uh, the the patriotism that is attached to honoring first responders coming out of September 11th. And we will never forget, right? That's the mantra around September 11th. We will never forget. Uh, those incidents were, and again, not to, it's going to come off very disrespectful to those, but those incidents were snapshots in time mm-hmm. when, it, when you consider how long they lasted. Mm-hmm. As, as compared to the length that Africans were enslaved in this nation. Yeah. And then when we were finally free, we then proceeded to go and live under Jim Crow laws and segregation. Mm-hmm. So you have that history that spans several hundred years. But when, when a person, when a black person speaks about that trauma, and speaks about how that trauma is affecting their current everyday life. What's the response? Yeah. There's pushback. Yeah. You're playing the race card. Get over it. It's, you know, it, we don't, this country does not acknowledge the, the long lasting trauma um, of slavery. Yeah. 
so, yeah. so then the frustration that you see in the streets today, it's the fact that these people are, that have lived their entire life demonized, lived their entire lives as a second-class citizen, lived their entire lives as a threat. Um, you know, so, Tommy, when you talked about you made the joke about us playing football and then saying that, no, you know, my leg is about your, the size of that you are. And I'm sorry. I, 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 I Father Tom, I, I, you're Tommy. So you can I'm call Tom. me Tommy. That's all right. Um, Megan has to call me Father Tom. But, uh, okay. um, you know, me and you go back to when we were, I was 17, 18 years old when I stepped foot on this campus. Mm-hmm. And you know – uh, a very nice guy, a loving guy, a guy that jokes around, and I'm extremely loyal. And, you know, I'm, I'm a. I, but for some people, mm-hmm. just my physical presence is a threat. Yeah. And it's hard walking around in your skin where your skin and your tone is immediately a threat. Yeah. And whether somebody verbalizes it or not, I sense it. Mm-hmm. I know it, you know. Mm-hmm. And so that that's the issue right now is that it's yeah. not just another police incident. Yeah. It's the fact that you have a, a whole, you have generations of people that were traumatized and were hurt. Yeah. And their hurt and their pain has never been acknowledged. Yep. Their hurt and their pain have never been um, accepted as cause. The analogy I'm thinking of as you're talking is kind of like, uh, you know, when I'm cooking something on the stove, um, you know, there's there's constant heat there, and there's mm-hmm. there's there's boiling going on, and if I'm not watching it, it's getting out of control or it's it's boiling over. Um, in some ways because of the history of our country and in regard to these issues in particular that it's never been taken off the heat it's it's always there's always been that 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 heat and that that struggle you know we were talking before we started recording for the podcast even about how um you know we have students here at St. Ambrose uh, that have never had um a, a, a black or hispanic classmate in their entire education prior to coming here. Um, and we have the opposite where we, because we recruit a lot uh, from particular areas where we have students that may never have had a white classmate until they come to school here um, or very well could have had that situation. What is that but practically segregation that has continued <laughs> well into the 21st century, you know? Um, yeah, it's... it's it, that, that's the you kind know, of structural the, stuff we're talking about, I think, right now. Yes, yes. And the practice of, you know, and they, they call redlining. You know that term? Mm-hmm. Um, so Locus was redlined in Davenport. Yeah. Okay. Where um, minorities, black and Hispanic folks, were not given the opportunity to finance a home or a business north of Locust Street. Mm. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, and there are cities all over, you know, so I'm out of Evanston, Illinois, north suburb of Chicago. Um, the reason Chicago is so segmented by these neighborhoods 
that are culture and nature. You have the Little Italy and, and Greektown yeah. is because Richard Daly Sr., yeah. that was their way of keeping peace in Chicago, yeah. is that they redlined the city where they thought if we kept all the Polish together, all the blacks together, all the Italians together, and kept them away from the whites in the northern suburbs, mm-hmm. then we would have peace. Um, but that also keeps you, keeps you away from certain opportunities. Yeah. You know, so when, when you talk about one frustration I have, um, is when I come across people on on campus that ask me about the the readiness of our students to be college students. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and everyone expects, and, and, a freshman's going to fail a test. A freshman is going to fail a class, right? Uh, until a freshman fully understands what it means, what college work is, they will struggle. Uh, you will have students that are 4.0s in high school. They will get to college and still flunk out because they can't handle the time and the workload. Mm-hmm. Um, we have it's it, when a when a student of color struggles, right? Mm-hmm there's a question about their readiness for college Mm -hmm. besides the fact that it's just something freshmen go to go to, you know? Um, But, but the, the, the history of these red lines and property values being used to fund your school, right? So you live in a poor neighborhood, your property values down, your taxes are lower and it's based on that dollar amount that your school is funded when it comes to books and technology, um, you are already behind the eight ball compared to your counterpart that comes from a more affluent area. Yeah. Because that student has better books, has smaller classrooms, has access to technology. Yep. Um, so all these the lineage of race in this country lives on. And, you know, Tommy, if you go back to when we were in high school mm-hmm. and the whole, I know, you know, you're a big gangster rap fan. Um, <laughs> that is whole, me to a T. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the whole parental advisory debate. Uh, it, yeah. So we would have been about eighth grade going into our freshman year in high school Ninety-one, ninety-two. When all these parental advisory stickers started popping up, yeah, I remember them. CD. I had a couple of those. <laughs> yeah, um, you had congressional hearings because of groups like NWA and that were speaking their truth. Yeah, but their truth was talking about police brutality in their neighborhood. Yeah. So one of the songs that went coast to coast that had everybody clutching their pearls and oh my god was nwa had a song that said f the police yeah and people couldn't understand why how could you talk so bad about the police well their reality was yeah what we're seeing on the news right now yeah their reality was police officers brutalizing their brothers and sisters and killing them and getting away with it yeah Uh, the reality is Rodney King happened, mm-hmm. 
and it was on it was the first time the country got to see video of a black man on his knees with five officers standing over him hitting him with batons continuously you know right? that's one of those videos too that i can still summon up the image of it instantly you know like it's burned in you know um and and i and obviously that did make a lot of people angry when that happened and yet for whatever reason at that time still we didn't res- we didn't respond with making substantive change it doesn't seem like you know and, and and maybe we're at a moment now when we can do that i hope but it's so it's sad you- that it's taken another 30 years for <laughs> for that to happen and the reason is the reason is is we had it on video mm-hmm. and all of those officers were acquitted. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> right? Yep. So so when people can't understand the frustration, when people can't understand what what these artists are talking about, they're telling you their reality. Yeah. They're telling you how they're being brutalized in their own neighborhoods. Um and we never we never addressed it. Yeah. Megan, I want to get you in on this. So kind of from the student angle of things especially, um, tell us a little bit about kind of where your own thoughts and feelings have been on this. And as, uh, you know, you we're all preparing, hopefully, to be back on campus here in, in the fall, however and whenever that rolls out with everything with the COVID-19 crisis. But, yeah, um, tell us what you're feeling. Uh, Yeah, so I can only speak from uh, the white student's perspective, obviously. I come from a really small town um, in Illinois, Um, so if you can imagine, there wasn't much uh, diversity in my schooling there. Um, So I didn't really, we had kind of talked about this, like um, how sometimes people come to college and they never really had like a a black classmate or um, so that was kind of me uh, coming uh, to school. Uh, So it was a little different just having everyone there because coming from a small town, uh, there's not a lot of people. Like I probably had, we were one of the bigger classes. We had like 60 people. So coming to uh, school at Ambrose and like just being surrounded, purely surrounded by so many different people um, was, I frankly, I thought it was awesome because I got to learn about uh, so many different people, where they come from, like uh, what their high schooling was like, like the the amount of technology or what they had or didn't have. Um, so I found it really like eye opening uh, for the better. Uh, but right now, I'm just trying to um, just listen because I feel like I feel like me personally, I'm a talker. You ask all my friends, like I talk all the time. I, I probably never stop talking. Um, 90% of the time, but I I found it really helpful just to like listen to everybody and read and educate. And um, I had had a class with Lisa Powell and we talked about like racism and theology. And that was my first kind of like insight into like racism as, as a structure and how powerful it is and my privilege and challenging that. So I think I've just, with this, like, dove, dove a little deeper 
um, into confronting my privilege and having uncomfortable thoughts and conversations like with people. But yeah. where I am. Meg, you and I probably grew up in similar situations, you know, smaller towns. The town I grew up in, Iowa, was a little bit bigger than the town you grew up in. But, um, again, my hometown, not particularly diverse. Um, and then, um, you know, but maybe more so a little bit. Uh, and then coming to to, uh, to college here, and and you know, I think a lot of a lot of um, a lot of white Midwesterners are raised as we were, not to be racist, but on the other hand, not to be anti-racist in the sense that um, we were kind of, I don't know, I almost feel like it was just not talked about, you know, or it was it was like. Certainly, I grew up with the idea that I should treat everybody, regardless of the color of their skin or where they're from, with the dignity that they deserve. You know, and and a lot of that comes from my religious faith as well, believing that a person is made in the image and likeness of God, and and all of that. So, and I'm grateful for that, um, at, at least as a baseline. But when it comes to some of this stuff that we're experiencing right now, I'm kind of feeling like that's inadequate. Like that's not enough. You know that um, just being nice to people <laughs> or having a kind of broad respect for them as a human being isn't going to get us through this struggle and isn't going to create positive and lasting and peaceful change down the road. So I want to go back to something, Fritz, you were talking about, too, like the, 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 the sense of anger. When I used to teach in the high school, um, I used to teach over at Assumption High School, I taught moral theology, and I would always use anger as an example. Like anger just the raw emotion of anger is not, of course, a sin. It is just your conscience setting off a buzzer telling you something is not right here. Something is not right. And in, in many cases, that anger is very justified. And, um, and I would tell them, it's good when that buzzer works, right? You should, mm-hmm. There are things in this world you should be angry about. And, of course, when we watch a video like what happened to George Floyd, if that doesn't make you angry, I am concerned for the state of your soul <laughs> because um, it, it, or your conscience at the very least, because I don't know how you could see that and not be angry. Then the question becomes, okay, what do I do with that? Um, you know, and, and maybe this is, again, where I can turn it to you, Fritz, to say, especially think of, thinking of the, the, the Ambrose, family here, um, a, you know, a diverse community, but probably, I don't know what our statistics are, but probably still trending more white, you know, mm-hmm. what do we do with this? Um, uh, how do we channel this in a, in a positive, productive way that is more than just being nice? <laughs> so I will, I'm going to use the words oppressor and the oppressed. Okay. okay. Mm-hmm. Um, the oppressed cannot change the system. Okay, mm-hmm. the oppressor changes mm-hmm. the system. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that alarm and that anger is because the oppressed has been. They we have been trying to ring the alarm and say the system is not right. Mm-hmm. Okay, um, so in, in terms of the upbringing of there are some that are okay. We're okay with equality, mm-hmm. right? As long as it's equal over there. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I'm okay with you having the opportunity to buy a home. I'm okay with you having the opportunity to send your kids to college. 
just not my school. Hmm. It's not my neighborhood. Mm-hmm. Okay. So in terms of what we do about it, until, until our white brothers and sisters, mm-hmm. okay, um, see themselves, right? They can see George and see their brother mm-hmm. and see their son, yep. okay, and demand it differently. Yeah. It's not changing because yeah. um, I can tell you, when I see that image, or uh, Eric Gardner, the first gentleman that was like, I can't yeah. breathe in New York, was mm-hmm. a large black male like me. When I saw him mm-hmm. and that image, I could clearly see myself. We were similar build. Yeah. And I know my wife saw me. I know my mother and my sisters saw me. Yep. Okay? And that, that hits them differently. Um, so until, and these are some basic things when it comes to just hiring somebody for a job, right? Yeah. Uh, some of the issues with, with the diversity numbers and in, in organizations is you tend to hire people that you relate to. Mm. You tend to hire people, whether you purposely do it or not, consciously do it or not, you try to hire people that will fit the organization so it can remain a smooth oil machine. Mm-hmm. So when all the hiring managers are white or white males, you'll tend to have workplaces that are dominated by white males. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, until white America can see um, Tamir Rice, a black young man, sitting in a park playing with a, a little toy gun and having a cop car pull up on him and immediately shoot him dead, until they see that young man and see their child, mm-hmm. we're going to struggle with this because the yeah. oppressor has to change the system. Yeah. Uh, so what we can do is uh, the, our, our white colleagues walking back campus have to be the ones to lead the change on how people are hired on in this campus. They have to lead the change when it comes to how our students are treated yep. on this campus and and how, like, what is Ambrose standing for when it comes to this issue, Yeah. okay? Because as we started this conversation, when the oppressed are the only voice you hear and it's our story, we're told to get over it. Just be happy with the opportunity of getting to Ambrose, right? Yeah. Now you want to be a director. Just be happy you're there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Or now you want to be a department chair. Just be happy you're there. Um, and, and it almost comes off like, like for some people, like like we're ungrateful for aspiring to want more. Mm-hmm. You know, you should just be happy with what we've given you. Yeah. Um, and, and that's that's the change is that we need to have more from the oppressed class or the oppressor class demand the change mm-hmm. and and be able to just see see us for the human beings and the children of God that we are yeah um, you know the 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 crazy thing for me um, is that you have so many people that are 
willing to fight to change the system up to a point. (laughs) So if me fighting for you means jeopardizing what I have, I am not willing to sacrifice that. Hmm. Yeah. <laughs> um, and that is what this this race issue has turned into. Yeah. Um, I've used this analogy a lot. And um, Tommy, are you a Pepsi or a Coke guy? Um, I don't drink a lot of pop, but I'd probably lean more Coke. <laughs> you lean more Coke, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that doesn't mean you hate Pepsi, right? That's right. Okay, this current issue, we have gotten to the point where if you are a Black Lives Matter person, Hmm. that suddenly means you are anti-police and you hate cops. Yeah. Uh. So then, you know, I might be really wanting to support Fritz and the black community, but I can't risk my white community feeling like I am now turning my back on my white community because I am mm. now hating cops. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> right? And that's where the, it's become this polarized binary choice of yeah. of a of an issue where because you don't want to see a man killed Uh, And brutalized by the police That means you hate cops No, I just, I don't, I hate that action That took that man's life Yeah Yeah. (laughs) Um, I hate the action of three other officers Standing there and not intervening Yep Um, And the The boldness of knowing This did not happen Out of the, in the cover of darkness Yeah They were in bright The brightness today Yep. And clearly had people standing around them videotaping them, and there still was not a, oh, we need to stop. We took it too far. Clearly, there are witnesses, right? Yeah. Um, hmm. So that's the deal. Is yeah. our our white brothers and sisters have to lead us out of this because our voice has continually been ignored uh, when we speak of our experience. Um, yeah. Well, all of this is really important for us to hear. And I think another thing that we can be doing and should be doing are things like this and keeping this conversation going and uh, maybe asking those uncomfortable questions and, and having those difficult conversations and creating fora on campus where that can happen when we can be back on campus and when we can be in physical space with each other again, even if socially distant somewhat. Um, but yeah. we need to be, I, I, you know, if this next school year isn't profoundly marked and different and moving forward, even if through some mud, you know, um, on this issue in this next year, then we've, I think we've kind of failed, you know, uh, about advancing yeah. the conversation. So um, no, no, certainly of, of campus ministry support, and uh, we we got to plan some things for sure for this coming year. And I know I want to work with the students that are um, uh, that are leading our Black Student Union here on campus, and 
So, you know, lots of good opportunities. And Megan, of course, you run cross country too. And you think of, you know, when you're when you're teammates with 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 people, especially that are of various colors and from different places and from different experiences, that that's a bonding that that uh, is, is more than just going to the same school because you are you are sweating and bleeding together, <laughs> yeah. um, and and that's a beautiful uh, kind of solid act of solidarity right and that's the kind of thing that i think fritz you're talking about that we need to we need to be able to see each other in the other you know and 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 look at the face of our brothers and sisters and say that is that is my family that is me that is my brother that is my sister that is my son that is my daughter so um and and that's what's going to create some change but fritz great to have you on our time is dwindling um but we may uh this is this is certainly a conversation worth more than a single podcast. So I think we might have to revisit this and and uh, and maybe, like I say, get some of those students um, that are involved with Black Student Union on uh, for this. So, but. yeah, I would love it. I would love it. Thanks for your for your willingness to to come on here, and and it was really good to hear your points. So, yeah, thank you. No worries. All right, and. Uh, if we we can talk Star Wars sometime too, if you want to, that seems to be what we gravitate toward on this podcast. So uh, we'll we'll get to that eventually. <laughs> All right, Meg, uh, I'll let you lead us home. All right, may the faith be with you and with your spirit. All right, take it easy. God bless, and uh, we'll uh, call it here. Have a good day. Bye bye.